0: So welcome back. Uh, now, if you were with us last week, I really hope that while the content was much deeper than normal last week, if you're here, um, I hope that you both enjoyed and learned from what we covered. We are currently in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Um, and uh, just in case you weren't with us, I'm going to recap what we went over. Maybe you're still mulling it over. Maybe you're still trying to wrap your head around because it was a little bit deeper than normal. Um, Last week, our primary focus was the event we call the Day of the Lord. Uh, the Day of the Lord is not the event that we call the rapture. Those are two different events. Um, Paul talked to us about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians, the previous book. Uh, and during the rapture, Jesus is, going to, Jesus is going to call believers up into the air. Also, there are currently no known events uh, that have to happen before the rapture, meaning that it could quite literally happen at any time. It's what we believe. The day of the Lord, on the other hand, is the physical return of Jesus to the earth, and it's the day that he comes back and he sets things right and he judges the world for sin. And on this day, specifically the day of the Lord, it has several things that have to happen before it comes. So I'll put them on the screen. Uh, as Paul told us, number one, there has to be a complete apostasy of the organized church. There has to be a complete apostasy. Uh, there has to be an overwhelming falling away uh, from traditional church uh, doctrine. And in our passage today, Paul is actually going to be telling us that it's critical that we hold on to what we've been taught and not to give it up for some new and fancy message that's watering down the gospel um, that the world would have us preach. Now, the second thing that has to happen is that the man of sin has to be revealed. Now, this man is also known as the son of perdition. He also goes by a more famous name, which is the Antichrist. He's called by the, uh, that title, uh, by the Apostle John, uh, and he's called so because he's not Jesus but he pretends to be Jesus. He tries to step in Jesus' spot. And Paul shows us very clearly that he would come with signs and wonders. And he would sit on the throne of God in the temple pretending to be Jesus. Now, as we found out last week, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit will have removed all of the current believers uh, from the earth at this time, the Christ followers. And for a time, the whole world is going to fall for this individual, for the uh, Antichrist. They will fall for him, hook, line, and sinker. Um, And there will be this deception, and in all reality, the reason why this deception is because there's going to be no one to turn to the truth during that time period. Paul tells us not so much to scare us, but rather to help us to be informed, as God wants us to know his plans, what he has in store, what's moving forward. And he was telling us that we still have time for us to turn to Jesus. Now we have time to still turn and turn away from a life of sin. Now, I meet weekly with a couple of different people um, and the congregation, and one of the men that I meet with, he and I are going through the book of Revelation, um, and I often keep telling him, uh, and he'll probably laugh at this, uh, that God is going to systematically take away all of our excuses as to why we do not need him in our lives. This is God's plan. This is what's happening. In the book of Revelation, if, if you don't get anything else from the book of Revelation, it's God systematically taking away our excuses as to why we don't need him in our lives. God removes his spirit-filled followers from the earth for a time to let the world run as fast as it wants to towards whatever it wants to. You know, if you've ever had a child um, and you've tried to raise a child, at one point you have to let them learn from the consequences of their own experience. When we lived in Missouri, Nick was uh, two or three years old, my middle child, Um, and he's always been our, um, how can I put this kindly, our stubborn child. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the stubborn child that just needs to learn their own way and has to forge their own path. With Nick, you can't simply warn him. Uh, He often needs to learn firsthand by his own experience. Now, every now and then again, I like hot sauce on uh, my food. I don't always, but occasionally. Hot sauce happens to be red, and it looks like ketchup, but it does not taste like ketchup. Now, uh, on one occasion, Nick was insisting that he have my hot sauce. And I said, no, you cannot have my hot sauce. You will not like it. His mom tried to warn him as well. But Nick was being insistent, and I said, fine, you can have some hot sauce just for you. Well, Nick was whining and crying because he didn't have hot sauce, and moments later he was whining and crying for a brand new reason, and he had to learn from experience. I let him go through something that wasn't going to kill him, Uh, and needless to say, uh, it was many years before he ever asked for hot sauce again. God is a loving Father, and sometimes he allows us to learn our consequences firsthand. And God, being a loving father, tries to direct us away, but when we will not listen and absolutely want to have our way, he allows us to follow our hearts. Now, our memory verse says these words. I'll read it, and then we can say them together. The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Let's say that together. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3, three. Sorry, normally I say that. I, I didn't say that. Thank you, Linda. Um, church, God wants the best for you. However, he's not going to override your free will. He will not force you to do something that you do not want to do. However, refusal to heed his warnings will often come with great consequences. God tells us the truth because he wants us to be informed. He wants us to be firmly established in truth. Now today, the sermon title is Established in Christ. We're going to be working through the end of this chapter, chapter 2, and into the first couple of verses of chapter 3. If you are interested in taking notes, I do have some kids' bulletins in the back, uh, and we have some... uh, Clipboards and crayons as well and other things. So if you're interested to help you uh, follow along today, but we're going to be covering three different points. First one is chosen because God has chosen us. Secondly, stand fast. It's going to be a a promise and a reassurance for us to stand fast. And the final point of today is going to be the message and the method. So point number one, chosen. Now today we're going to be picking off exactly where we left off last week in chapter two, verse 13. Now, as we begin our journey today, I want you to keep this in the back of your head. Pose this question and try to figure out an answer for it. Why did God allow Paul to tell us this knowledge of future events? Why did God allow Paul to tell us this knowledge of future events? Why are they so important for us to know? I'm honestly convinced that it has less to do with our future and much more to do with our present. And I honestly think that confidently knowing the future should affect the way we have our actions today. It should affect both our attitudes and our actions, what we choose and what we choose not to do, all because we know of what is coming and it should want us, it should help us to be prepared or want to be prepared for when it arrives. So let's look at our first couple of verses. I'll put these ones on the screen. Uh, This is 13 and 14. It says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the second time that Paul has used the words, we are bound to give thanks. He said it once before in the first chapter in verse 3. Um, And as I said last time, when we ran across it, uh, other translations will say, we cannot help but give thanks, is kind of what he's trying to say. He's like, we can't not give thanks for you. Every time we think of you, we give thanks to God because you held a special place in our hearts. Now, it's almost like he bookends the entire section concerning the day of the Lord of giving thanks to God for this congregation. He started it and ended it. Now he's actually moving on to a new section. He continues on, he says, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Paul says that God chose us for salvation. Now at first glance, this might seem to indicate that you and I have no choice in salvation. Almost like as if it were not us up to us if we got saved, whether we liked it or not. Unfortunately, there are many denominations that hold to this very idea that God's going to have his way and whether you like it or not, you're going to do exactly what he wants you to do. Now, if you were paying attention just a minute ago, I said that God will not force you to do something that you do not want to do. So what's happening here in this language? God is infinite. He's infinite in how long he exists, in his power, and in his knowledge. Since in one act of knowing, he knew all things. He even knew all possibilities of all things. He couldn't not know who was going to choose him. Instead of waiting for us to choose him, he chose us first. Preacher uh, known as Spurgeon once said on the matter, uh, he said, I'm glad God chose me before I got here because if he'd have waited until I got here, never would have chosen me. God chose you. And the closest thing that I can liken to is that God chooses us much like an expecting parent chooses to love a child before the child is born. The difference is that God knows every single one of our failures before we're born. He knew every single time we would falter, every sin. He knew when you would give in, and he even knew when you would curse his name, and still knowing all of that, he chose you. The next part of verse 13 says, he chose for you salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Now, at first glance, this would seem that we have to earn our salvation by being sanctified up to a certain point where we have earned it. However, this is not the case. Otherwise, why would he have given us the spirit as a promise of that salvation? As we learned in Ephesians last time, if you were here with us, workspace salvation flies in the face of the cross. And it would mean that Jesus' death wasn't enough. The book of Romans tells us that salvation is by faith alone. The book of Ephesians, as I just referenced in another place, says it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Your salvation in Christ is a gift. You can't do enough good things to earn it. It also means that you can't lose it as well. Have you, have you ever messed up? I mean, really messed up. You ever find yourself like, I just made a really bad uh-oh. Have you ever wondered at the point Like, I messed up so bad, does God still love me? Can God still love me after what I just did? Have you done something that made you question your relationship with him? It made you question if he would still want you or could even still use you? Well, first thing you got to remember is that he chose you before you were born, knowing what you would do. So he chose you before you had a chance to mess up. What you did did not surprise him. It may have surprised you, but it did not surprise him because he knew what you would eventually do. and He still chose you. Secondly, salvation is by faith. It's not by what we do. This is what Ephesians just told us. And thirdly, Jesus once said, "'My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, "'and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, "'and they shall never perish, "'neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand.'" My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. That's John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. So there's this guy in the Bible. His name is David, also known as King David. He was called in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, A man after God's own heart, man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel chapter 13. David would go on from this moment, not only to cheat on his wife, but to cheat uh, with another man's wife and then murder that man to try to cover up his transgression. But still he was called a man after God's own heart, even though God knew where he would go. So the question is, was God unaware of what David would do? Well, absolutely not. God knew exactly what David would do. He knew where he would go. God knew every single one of David's failures before he was born, just like he knows yours. So why was David a man after God's own heart? When David was faced with the truth, it broke his heart. He completely turned and he repented from his sin. He remained sensitive to the leading of the spirit in his life and he was willing to admit his shortcomings and turn from that sin. That is what made David stand out. Second point today, stand fast. So Paul continues on in verse 15. Verse 15 says this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. So at the end of verse 14, Paul has said that God has called us by the gospel. Paul tells us that the church is to hold fast to the gospel, to not let it go and to go searching for another gospel. The question is, why is it so critical for us to hold to the gospel and not allowing it to change? Well, I uh, I like you being in the outdoors, and uh, I've spent a lot of time with scouts. Uh, we have trail life, and I was even in the Marine Corps. Uh, and if you've ever held a compass, you'll know that most compasses, standard compass, will have 360 degrees on it. Now, if you are walking over a long distance of a couple of miles, and you were off just one or two degrees you will not land in your destination. You will land somewhere else. And what Paul is trying to tell us is just, even if you're off just a couple of degrees, over the long haul, you are not going to arrive at your destination. Even small changes over the long haul make a big difference. Ask any physical trainer and they'll tell you the exact same thing. Small changes in your life now over the long haul will make a very big difference. Now, we are not to allow a philosophy to come in because it sounds good, but rather we are to test everything, is what the Bible tells us, about testing everything against what has already been said, to see if it is true or if it's a counterfeit. In verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds us that it's the work and love of Jesus in our lives that gives us an everlasting consolation. Consolation is another word for a prize. He says that our hearts should be comforted, and I'll put up 17b here, and establish you in every good word and work. So how are we to be established in Christ according to this verse? And every word and work from Jesus, every good word. Verse 17 is pointing back to verse 15, that we are to be established and to hold fast onto the word of God, which is our Bibles. So we, we have our Bibles, our written word, and we are supposed to be established by reading and knowing what we have written in front of us. The more familiar we are with our Bibles, the less likely we are to be tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine that comes by our way. The Word of God is one complete work. It's not just 66 individual letters. Individually, they are all true. Every single one of these is completely true by themselves. But together, they stand stronger When I worked in camp ministry, I helped build several ropes courses. I even built a backyard zip line for our kids, had a whole bunch of fun. Uh, Tried tried to, yeah, just give some fun stuff. Um, And we would use an aircraft cable. If you're unfamiliar, it's called 7x19, okay? Seven bundles of 19 strands each inside that cable. Each of the individual strands of cable would be, uh, there's 133 of them. Each individual strand could hold less than 100 pounds. It would snap fairly easily. But when bundled and spiraled together, together, those 133 strands could hold over 14,000 pounds. Uh, Actually, 14.5, if I remember the right math. But anyways... um, The point is that together, the word of God is so much stronger when we understand all the books and the way that they interlink together. When you realize that Jesus is being referenced in the Old Testament, when you see the sacrifice of the lamb in Genesis and you see the nakedness of Adam and Eve being covered up and how it points to Jesus on the cross, when you uh, are looking through and you see Moses raising the brazen serpent and how that pointed to Jesus on the cross as well, when you realize that the fourth person inside the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is Jesus himself, and so many other little details, you start seeing the clarity of God's plan come together, and you start seeing that he's been pointing towards this all along, and you wonder, start wondering how you ever missed it in the first place, and all of this comes by realizing that all of the word of God is working together at the same time, and that it's all intertwined, but realizing this takes work, it takes patience. Everybody wants this kind of understanding, and everyone can have it, but few are willing to put in the work for it. Paul is telling us to hold fast what we know that we have been taught, and in doing so that we will be established, and we will become sturdy in our faith, and in being established we will be comforted, and our worry and our fears will slowly fade away because we'll have a a strengthened trust in the Word of God and our plan for our lives. Final point today is the message and the method. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul asks for a prayer from the church that the gospel would spread quickly wherever it is preached and that many would accept it just as this church had. The next thing he says, and I'll put this up on the screen, in verse 2, he says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith. What's interesting here is that often the spread of the gospel, when it's hindered, it's not from the places you would initially expect you would think that maybe it was the local bar or tavern or some other place that's a little bit run down or on the side. But really, rather, the gospel is often hindered by those who claim to be religious. Remember last time I was talking about thinking through this letter, thinking about the circumstances of the people. When we start thinking of their circumstances, because the letter was originally written to them, and we start understanding their mindset, we start actually clearly understanding the letter. So what crowd, if you're thinking of what they went through, what crowd originally sought after Paul's life, ran him out of town and badgered him and then the church as well? It was the religious crowd. Those who claimed to know the truth of God but were foreigners to Jesus. And sadly, all too often the religious crowd in an attempt to keep traditions mistake the tradition of man for the truth of God. And this is exactly what the Jews in Paul's day had done. They had mistaken uh, a whole bunch of 613 commandments, and they said, oh, this is the tradition of God, this is the truth, but God had only actually given 10. And so they had built upon it, and they had amplified it. And this is something that we as a church can learn from, and we have to learn from if we're going to avoid their mistakes. There's a huge difference between biblical truth and the traditions that started out of convenience during a specific time or location. If we're going to be successful, we have to learn this. The Amish that pass our four walls every single Sunday, most Sundays while we're in this very room, you will see one or two buggies go by. They're a very clear example of this. They honestly pursue God, but traditions have been elevated to the point of religious ideals. And they are trapped in the past. They are held prisoner by man-made traditions, just like the Jews of Paul's day. And Paul understood this practical approach to ministry. Remember, Paul traveled to many different countries, and he saw many different groups of people and cultures. And at one point, he was writing to the First Corinthians uh, church, and uh, he reminds them of how flexible the gospel truly is. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some." We stay relevant, not by changing our message, but by changing our method. All too many churches have failed to recognize this, and you probably know of some. Our message never changes. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, truth does not change based on our opinion, ever. Truth is always the same. On the other hand, a method can and should change. Whether you have a church background or not, I will tell you the same gospel but I will change my method based on your background. Hopefully that makes sense. And verse three, our memory verse, Paul tells us that God is faithful and he will establish us. He will plant us on solid ground just as he plants us firmly and in his word and in his will. And he will guard us from attacks that come our way. God is faithful even when we are not. We have and one day will again let God down. Sin will happen in our lives. However, as we choose to have a heart like David's, God will remain faithful and nurture and guide our lives. So let's finish our time together by reading our last two verses, then we're going to wrap things up. In verse 4 and 5, Paul says these words, "...and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ." Notice that he has the utmost confidence in this church. I don't think Paul could say enough uh, as he highly regards this congregation and their ability to follow Christ, even in the face of constant oppression um, from the uh, religious crowds and even the attacks of Satan that are going on in their church. Paul says that he has confidence. Not only will this church follow his instructions, but they have and will continue to follow even when he can't be with them. What really caught my eye in verse 5, though, is he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. In this sermon, I've been speaking about knowing our Bibles, pursuing uh, an understanding of how our Bibles all link together through all the books. Have you ever met somebody who says that the God of the Old Testament is all wrath? Have you ever met somebody with that kind of opinion and that the Jesus of the New Testament is all love? I can't tell you how many times I've run into somebody with some variation of that idea. The people see a disconnect. And in fact, you may be faced with the same impression that often that God in the Old Testament is portrayed as obstinate. He's ruthless in his approach. He's demanding in his adherence to rules. You may have looked at Jesus as this loving person who told us to love our neighbor, to share our possessions, less about rules, more about relationships. Relationships. While both views hold a snippet of truth, both are inaccurate descriptions. They're incomplete. Take a look at verse five again. I'm gonna break down exactly what he said. I'm gonna rephrase this in my own words. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God and may the Lord direct your heart into the patience of Christ. That's the Amadon version, see, right there. The love of God and the patience of Christ. These are things that we don't hear too often. The love of God, the patience of Christ. Typically we hear about the love of Christ. Why would he say that we have to have our hearts directed towards the love of God? Well, because the Son came. Jesus was born. He bled and he died for our sin because of the love of the Father for you. God loves you. And Jesus came to do the will of the Father to repair a relationship that the Father desperately wants to be right in. Paul also said that we need our hearts to be directed towards the patience of Christ. And Jesus lived on this earth. And can you imagine the patience that he had to have when he was training the 12 disciples? Have you ever read some of their responses? You're like, that was obvious. Why didn't you get that? And he still had patience for them. Why did he have the patience? I want to say that the patience of Christ is the ability to see the potential in somebody. Christ didn't see Peter who stuck his foot in his mouth at every single time and would deny him even on the night of his death on the cross three times. He saw Peter as the man who at Pentecost would lead thousands to him and would help become the cornerstone of the new church as it was finding its feet. He saw potential in people. That is the patience of Christ as he walks and he sees in our lives. Now today we have covered the second half of chapter 2 the first couple verses of chapter three. We've looked at the fact that God chose us, knowing our failures, he still chose us, yet he loves us as if we never failed. We looked at the command to know what we believe and the encouragement to look at our Bibles as one cohesive whole, look at our Bibles as one completed work. Remember, our message will never change, but our method can. Finally, we were reminded to have the love of God and the patience of Christ to choose to see the best in others, to see their potential as God has once seen in you. Today, I wanna close with two questions and we're gonna be a little bit different. I'm actually gonna give you a challenge as well. So closing question number one, when you're honest with yourself, what do you feel God thinks of you? What do you feel God thinks of you? God loves everyone, he's God, he asked you, right? But he likes you too. He likes you for being you. He wants a relationship with you. Are you willing to trust him and to build yours? Second question. Have you ever confused the message and the method? It's easy to get stuck on tradition, thinking that it's the truth. The vast majority of the Jews in Jesus' day did just that. Because they were stuck on tradition, they ran Paul out of town and did not hear the message of salvation. The Amish that pass our church every day in many ways do the same. What are the things that we do in our church right here what are they that are methods what can change what can't change and the final thing is a challenge my challenge to you is as you read through the old testament purposely pay attention to the loving patience of God watch for the way that he warns his people but he still allows their hearts to choose in patient love he allows them to choose and follow their own desires even when it's not something he wants them to do it'll change the entire perspective you have of the Bible. Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for your word and your encouragement. Lord, I thank you for choosing us even before we had a chance to sin. Lord, you knew absolutely everything and you still know even all the possibilities which blows my mind to even start thinking of. And yet you choose to love us as though we have never sinned. And Father, you allow us to be used by you to accomplish your work. And Father, I thank you so much for sending Jesus. I thank you for the love that you have for us. God, I ask that you help us to stand firm and to not just to know our Bibles a little, but to stand firm in deep knowledge of our Bibles and to understand your word that has been given and left for us. Father, I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I ask that you continue to strengthen them and help them to walk away today knowing how deeply loved they are by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Team, it's all yours. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.